Welcome back to What the Fuck Were the 90s. I'm your host and local Babraham Lincoln, Katie. And I'm the Dreamweaver and co-host, Nick. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Apologies for the delay. I've been dealing with some health issues, then we had some technical issues with microphones and whatnot, but we should be where we need to be by the next episode, third time's the charm. That all said, we unfortunately were not able to coordinate with Mr. Andy Bodandy to join us to talk about Smash Mouth this episode, but we hope to work out our schedules in the near future and have them on soon. We're going to kick a potential film series off with talking about the beloved 90s film Wayne's World, which premiered in 1992 and takes place in our neighboring city, Aurora, Illinois. Excellent. <laughs> Even though it was almost exclusively filmed in LA with only outside shots, no cast involvement in Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. Lame. <laughs> Since we're on the topic of the lesser favorite details of the film, we'll start with that part, take a short break, and we'll end the episode on a more positive note with some of our favorite aspects. Do you want to take it away since you're the film buff Do in I residency? Want to take, oh, the film buff in residency, please. <laughs> or in residence, please. however you want to word it. Um, so we were talking about things you didn't like that much. Did correct? not like. Did not like that much. Um, if there is one thing that I could think about that I wasn't the biggest fan of is the crazy ex-girlfriend trope yes. that surrounded Laura Flynn Boyle the entire time. Is like, that who that was? Yeah, that's who that I was. Honestly, Laura I honestly have no idea who that was. Um, there are parts where it is funny. Particularly, I, I, I love the gun rack joke. I think that that is a very awesome piece of grammatical play. Um, Can you explain what that is so, like, so people who haven't yeah, necessarily so or are not familiar? Yeah, if nobody's that familiar with the film at this point in time. Um, so Laura Flamboyle plays one of, Wayne, or, yeah, one of Wayne's ex-girlfriends. I can't yes. remember her name at the moment. Um, um, I don't think I took a note of that, actually. Yeah, I know I didn't either. It, it, anyway yeah um, ex-girlfriend so your ex-girlfriend so they so wayne and his crew go to a diner and then they see the ex-girlfriend there and she gives wayne a gift and when he opens the gift it's a gun rack and he is very confused on why he just got a gun rack from his <laughs> ex-girlfriend and the line that he says that i love so much is i don't even own a gun let alone many to necessitate the need for a rack yes like, that whole line is just chef's kiss for me um, <laughs> But, unfortunately, it is done at the expense of a really problematic trope we have around women. Yes. And that uh, the story could have been just as good without having her be some kind of, like, caricature dancing around the area. Like, what was the things about her relationship? Maybe give her a positive arc to, to, like, I don't know get her to a place where she doesn't need Wayne anymore or or something that makes her not feel so We did get gross. to that point, but it was more of a revenge situation. Yes. When she like started grabbing on the guy at the party and yeah. was, was hanging all over him and was like, "I don't need Wayne anymore." There was one part and one part only that I felt that that character actually served a purpose. Besides that, they could have literally scrapped all of the scenes involving her and I would have lived a happy life. In the party, when Wayne, and this is going to be part of the positive stuff later, but when Wayne is talking to Cassandra, was that the first time? It was the first, like, serious time they talked, not just, like, so. meeting each other. Yeah, I believe so. And they, they were speaking, um, I believe it was Cantonese. Yeah, when he learned Cantonese for her. Yes. Yeah. 
there was an interaction, I don't remember the exact details of it, where it actually played a purpose in a positive light yeah. to kind of show like an opportunity for character growth, mm-hmm. that that character, the ex-girlfriend, worked. Yeah. Outside of that, no. it made no sense. They could have done a quick introduction for her mm-hmm. and been done. Yeah. And then had that interaction, yeah. showed her grabbing on the other guy, she's moved on already, whatever, and then we never see her again. Which is kind of how it played out in the movie. Yeah. I think we I saw mean, her maybe once or twice after that. Yeah. And, like, I think I, I think I know where they were kind of aiming at with Wayne's World. Like, Wayne's World is an SNL-based movie. Yes. Um, they have the crew that was there in SNL at the time doing it. And it felt very reminiscent to Carrie Fisher's character in The Blues Brothers, although not a 90s film, very important from the SNL line of film creation. It kind of set the standard for the SNL films going forward. The difference between what Carrie Fisher was doing, although she still played a crazy ex-girlfriend, was like, she, there was a little bit more depth to why she was there. Like, there was a genuine, like, she was getting payback on... Jake for standing her up at their wedding. Yes. Like, there's a whole different ballgame of that than breaking up with a girlfriend whom you're in your early 20s, I would say, probably dated yeah. for a couple of months is what yeah. I think they said. Like, I get I get a strong attraction to somebody, but not to the almost dangerous <laughs> level that it was yes. with this girlfriend, or this ex-girlfriend. And unfortunately, I think you'll agree with me, that trope happened so much in 90s films. It was, it was bad. And, I mean, granted, it, I would say it started in the 80s. A lot of films in the 80s kind of had that crazy ex-girlfriend or the crazy girl stuff, but it really started to, like, dig its claws in in the 90s, and mm. it held on through the early 2000s yeah. until we went, hmm, this is a little sexist. Maybe we should not do that. And well, now there's still a couple movies yes, that have so happened we, since we, then. still do. Yeah. But not mean, to, patriarchy be a bitch. Yes. Like, but not to, like, the crazy extent that, like, the 90s made it out to no. be. No, yeah, the 90s, I think, were, like, one of the pinnacle of the outright objectification of women specifically. I would say that that like that was the most where it was like totally not only understandable but almost was done to market the film better. I think that we have pulled a a bit back away from the whole if you want the film to sell you have to have this particular thing and we've now made that whole idea more insidious which is worse <laughs> than what it was. I think when it was out in the open and blatant people could point at it and be like that's bad but now there's nuance to how we're doing that that kind of obscures the fact that we're still generally treating women as as objects for the men characters in movies and shows to to work with yeah. as almost as props and that's icky and gross and we gotta stop doing that that's kind of fascinating that you bring that up though yeah looking at it from a 90s angle because simultaneously while this was happening we were also building the next wave of feminism yeah we were also that girl power women can do everything on their own they don't need a man it was like third wave i believe it was third wave feminism that that kind of took off that that hillary clinton feminism group (laughs) for lack of a better comparison we're young when they Um, saw the era get shot down and got real mad about it yes 
justifiably so. And then simultaneously on top of that was another sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. Women being empowered with their bodies, women being empowered to say, I am a sexual object, but I have a say whether or not I am the object Mm -hmm. or I am the objector, I guess. Does that make sense? It's more of a difference (laughs) of being a sexual being and not a sexual object. Like a being, there is depth. There is some understanding about it. And with an object, you are an object. You're, You're inanimate until you are quote, played with in a gross way about that. Now, if you think about it, when you're talking about Wayne's World, though, too, is Cassandra's a great example in that positive direction of it. Yes, she is. She's that other hand of the the third wave feminist of, I can be the object, but I have control here. Yeah. I determine when Wayne can or cannot have interactions with me. Yeah. I'm the one with the power. And, I mean, even with that one particular scene, I know we're kind of drifting off of the negative side and kind of like hitting it here. I still think this is negative. I mean, it's it's criticism and critique of yeah the film in the scope of the, the decade that it was made in. Yeah. What was the scene? Gratuitous sex scene. I made a note of it. Oh, yeah. In that, they could have really done the whole gratuitous sex scene, but instead they made a joke of it. Yeah. They made Wayne to be the butt of the joke in that scene. Yes. Which I appreciated that. Yeah. Even though there were some really cringe, sexist moments of like, oh, you know, swing and all of that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah. It was a weird line of, is this them trying to create a trope of like gross dudes and making fun of them? Or was it them trying to package how men behaved in that era? Maybe it was a little bit both. Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like that whole, like, I'm staring at your tits, but respectfully kind of kind of thing. Like, that's yes. what that felt like. And I don't think that that's necessarily any... You, I don't think you can ever really justify something like that. Yeah. Like, that's always something that's going to be a little bit icky, is the whole, like, the the treating a woman as a sex object. Or at least coming from where I'm looking at it in the 2023 view of being... <laughs> who I am as a person. <laughs> it's a delicate balance. Oh, it's absolutely... It like, really is, because there, there's some give. There's some give. That's the best way to put it. Hmm. In being able to kind of be gross yeah. and be a little cringe. Unfortunately, yeah. In this modern society yeah. that has kind of perpetuated from the 90s, and then there's also the other side of it. It's like, you got to put your foot down and be like, no, this is nasty. I haven't seen this movie easily in at least 15, 20 years. Mm. I mean, that's saying a lot. Mm. I Of course we saw it again for the podcast. We weren't going to just come in and just be like, hey, let's talk about a movie we haven't seen and see what we remember of it because that was very slim. Um, like That's a terrible idea. My memory is shot. Don't ask me to remember something. It's not great <laughs> Honestly, at all. I'd well, have made it up and been like a whole block blister type thing of like, that's what I remember from the film. Yeah. So like we did see the movie prior to recording this episode. Mm-hmm. And I went in going, I loved this movie as a kid. It's going to be awesome. I'm not going to have any complaints, no reservations. It's going to be perfectly fine. And that weird glass shatters just moment. That happens when you see something that you saw and, like, enjoyed and held dear to you as a child, and then seeing it from the lens of a full-fledged adult and going, oh, that's not what I remember it being. Like, even, for example, the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody scene, I recall that being way later in the movie than the beginning. Yeah. 
and actually that ties into one of my complaints about the movie <laughs> is I expected more <clears throat> 90s music from it. Yeah. Not like full blown 90s music because duh, it was what, 93 we said when Two, it came 92. out? 92. So we weren't getting fully into the 90s, but there were some of the influences from 80s music that tied into 90s music yeah. that we did see a little bit of, like the Alice Cooper, you know, the Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. But when you think about it too, with having Bohemian Rhapsody, that wasn't even from the 90s. No, it was like from mid 80s, right? Early mid 80s? Yeah. And if I remember, 70s? partially what Cassandra's band was doing too was covers. Yeah, they were doing covers of like 70s and 80s. 70s and, and 80s music. Maybe 60s, because they did an American Woman at one point in time. I believe I so. so. That, that seems correct. It's a 60s song, right? Um, 60s or 70s, for sure. Who knows? Regardless. Regardless. My mind and heart <laughs> remembered it with more 90s music, even if it was early 90s hair metal type stuff. There wasn't a whole lot of that in there. It was a no, lot of 80s influences. Understandable when the movie was written and filmed the, the very, and very early right 90s. But I I expected more from it. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of contemporary brought in at all. It was all looking towards the past. I mean, the way that the film is set up with the music side of it feels very much like how millennials talk about their musical tastes. Yeah. Because if we were to map, like our age group onto Wayne's where he was so hellbent on like Queen and and Led Zeppelin and all that that was like what 10-15 years before that film was made so that would be the equivalent of us like talking about how Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco and like the the emo bands of the mid 2000s to early 2010s those would be the same levels of music now I'm not saying that they're equal in quality like Led Zeppelin is Led Zeppelin and you know, Panic at the Disco is... Yeah, but, I mean, there's... It's still the correlation of, like, the timeline switch. Us to those bands is the same for Wayne to, you know, the 70s, 80s, and 60s music that he brought into the film. Yeah. Also, um, in my notes, I was just reviewing some of my notes, and her name was Stacy, the ex. Oh, okay. I did write it down. Her name was Stacy. Yes. That's good. Glad we were able to get her name, actually. Yes. You know, give her give her credit where credit is due. For real. Like, give her the credit. <laughs> Laura Flynn Boyle played Stacy in Wayne's World. There. You it's know, really yeah. Now she's gotten her recognition that she so deserves. Yep. Um, what else? What else did you find to be kind of gross about the, the movie? There was a lot of cringing moments that had to deal with other people's culture that I didn't think was handled the best. Yeah. And unfortunately, given Michael Myers's trending record for that the love guru pops into head yeah and that should have been a, a forecast of what was to come for Mike Myers movies as time went on I mean the Austin Powers movies are great and all don't get me wrong like I've heard those hold up well fingers crossed um might be the next episode who knows uh yeah but the, the first movie was in yeah, the was 90s in 90, I want to say 96 or 90 I want to say 98-ish yeah. yeah um besides the point yeah we're, we're <laughs> off track on that one but there were some moments where I was not the most comfortable watching a white guy talk about cultures that weren't his. Yeah. One of the things that tie into that a little bit, I wouldn't say... Now, are you seeing Mike Myers as a writer or Mike Myers as as Wayne? Probably as a writer. I mean, sometimes. Okay. Like, there's not all the times where, like, race is not 
treated the best. Right. And I I mean, it was an era where we were starting to go, hey, this is kind of fucked up. We should probably not say that about people or treat people like that. And one of the Hmm. things that the reason why I was asking, were were you talking about it from Wayne as the character or Mike Myers as the writer is the way the introduction to Cassandra was written felt so icky that they chose to have her do kung fu to break up a bar fight. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's... Awesome. Girl power. Rad. I yeah. appreciate I that. Down too. Yes. But what the yeah. fuck was that? Like, like I, <laughs> I mean, I could watch Tia Carrera kick the shit out of anybody any day of the week. Like, yeah. Early 90s Tia Carrera. Fuck yeah. Yeah. But like, it very much felt like an unnecessary situation to put her in. It was forced. Yeah. And you could tell it was forced. Like, even she... It, it she looked like uncomfortable. She looked uncomfortable with it, yeah. Yes. And I don't know, maybe we could have done some research on that to find out one way or the other, but, like, as as an onlooker, it was like, this just feels off. Looking on with hindsight, which is the most accurate way of looking on with this, we have seen... You said that in the most, like, NPR way I know, I ever. Know. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, I... We're looking back on this with hindsight slash our own personal mores attached to it. So, like, maybe she didn't even get bothered that much about it, but I don't know. Like, it still felt like a moment that didn't have to go that direction. Like, it could have yeah. gone somewhere different and still been funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost would have been funnier if she didn't do kung fu, but, like, just boxed them. Not even up. that. Just walked in between them and then, like, play up that whole, like hot woman breaks up a fight trope by walking in the middle. Like, yeah. like she didn't even have to do anything. She could have done the Megan Fox thing of walking in between the fight and then everybody's like, oh, it melts. Yeah, but I really wanted to see her punch some guy in the face. That too, I will give credit for like, that. I, yeah. I really did yeah. want to see her beat somebody up. That's a fair point. Because like, those guys were acting like douchebags. Anyway. They were. If you're acting like a douchebag, you're gonna get, you're gonna get hit. Like, who like, gets in a fight at a concert? Assholes. That's it. They're drunks and assholes. That's it. Or they're on drugs, considering the era. Or you're you're moshing, but... But in this instance... You expect to get into the fight if you're in a mosh pit. Like, if you get punched in the face, you're like, well, this is what I deserve. I signed up for this. I knew what I was getting myself into. Like, what the fuck is up, Denny's? (laughs) Yeah. Now, I... One of my other negative notes is kind of funny, because it's, it's how grossed out I was by the head of Noah's Arcade. Oh, the CEO. Brian Murray Doyle? Bill Murray's brother? Yes, the missing Murray brother. Well, yeah, one of, the, one of the missing Murrays. <laughs> um, well, he's not missing, guys. Like, no, he's fine. He's, he's just, he, he's alive he and well. does a lot of bit roles. He does. A lot of voice acting, too. But it was funny because I wrote down my complaint about him being how gross and, like, lecherous he was. But in the same vein, I also made a note on top of that note that said, has anything really changed? <laughs> like, if the Noah's Arcade CEO were mm-hmm. alive and kicking and Noah's Arcade was a modern business today, <sighs> nothing would be different. Nope. He'd be concerned with shareholders and shareholders only and what his investments were worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And, like, that would be it. And the lecherousness would still be there because, like... Maybe worse. If... Yeah, I mean, Elon Musk is gross. I mean, I so. gotta give Murray credit, though, because Murray is really good at playing those slimeball characters. And I've heard he's awesome. Like, as a person, I've heard Brian Doyle Murray is, like, really down-to-earth yes. considering the family he's with. 
Yes. Like, <laughs> like his brother is Bill fucking Murray. Like Yes. But he's also been one of those people that people say, like, he's really awesome when you meet him. Yeah, he's awesome or he's a douchebag. Like, I've heard that's the coin flip. Like, yeah. You're either going to get him when he's super cool or when he's being a kind of a dick. But that's kind of, unfortunately, the the SNL era they came from, is that's how the a lot of the people were. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I, I don't see Dan Aykroyd being that much of a dick to people in public. True. I mean, he's hawking his vodka, but oh my he's God. trying his best. But but that was definitely something that I was like, hmm, this stands out to me because nothing, like, he's playing a trope of a character that currently exists still. Like, like how you mentioned, like, Elon Musk is a good comparative person for that. Yep. Rich guy, completely out of touch, invests in something, thinking that it's going to be a great investment, and then realizing how much of a shit show it really was. Which is, unfortunately, what Wayne's World kind of was. It was a public access television show, mm-hmm. and th- while it thrived and functioned well as a public access television show bringing it to cable which was kind of a big thing in the 90s was the taking public access and making some of these people famous mm-hmm. didn't always work out no it did not you end up with either elvira in wayne's world or you end up with question mark because nobody knows who the fuck these people are and like they didn't you know end up becoming something which was the opposite end of that spectrum of that yeah. era yeah, I don't know. I, it, the the whole the time is a flat circle. It felt very much like that with yeah with the Noah's Arcade and the the commodification of every little aspect of life. I mean, I mean, even but I think they were even in on the joke a bit about too with the whole product placement, where they said they were going to put in Noah's Arcade's logo and stuff. And like the joke was that every single time they showed Wayne and Garth, there was another product placement with. Like Pepsi or Doritos, or Pizza and that's Hut. one of my positive notes yeah, for it. Was, like it's very self-aware of what it was doing at that time. Yeah, which... and that ties into the point of the breaking the fourth wall that I know we're going to bring up later. Yeah, but to tie into actually with the the changeover to cable for Wayne's World, my least favorite part was when poor Garth, after Wayne got fired, was left holding the bag. Nobody fucking told him. Like, not a single person thought, hey, maybe we should let this guy know that he's going to be writing this solo for the rest of the episode, if not longer. Yeah. And they were just like, okay, we're back from commercial. And he's like, oh, like, he reacted as anybody else would react of like, um, okay. Like a chihuahua just tossed into a bath. Panic and fear. It's a very specific reference. (laughs) Well, you know. Chihuahuas just, you know. Who's throwing chihuahuas into baths? I don't know, but it sounded funny. You know what? That's fair. That's fair. I'm sorry for killing your joke. I'm highly, highly I mean, chihuahuas are 50% bark and 50% shake, so like... That's true. That's gonna be... What's the end game if that does happen? If they get tossed into a bath? Yeah. Tossed or even set in, they'll still panic. What was your least favorite part? My least favorite part? Yes. I think while... Cassandra is on the the phone talking about the music video, and Wayne was over, and like he's just like fucking around in the room, like that was the gratuitous sex scene part. Was it? Yeah. Okay, that was just before. Oh yeah, it was just before. Yes. Like there was the cool part, like well not cool, but like the kind of funny, cute part of like the camera one, camera two, where like mm-hmm. he was being playful with that. But when she gets onto the phone and she starts talking business, and he like fake humps a mummy. It's like. Bruh, like, be serious. She's doing business shit. Like, yeah, like, she, have a little respect for her. She's being girl boss. Let her do it. Yeah, like... 
Cassandra, hashtag girl boss. Hashtag girl boss. Like, <laughs> it was one of those moments that felt very much like, oh, her business doesn't matter. I'm the only one in the room that needs to be entertained about this. Like, she doesn't have any aspirations other than me and my penis. It was kind of... That's what it felt like. It was childlike. Very much so. It was very much, like, tying into that whole, like, men can act like children. Yeah. And very much the men acted like children in that part. Exactly. And, like, I I, I know that that's the joke. Like, the joke is that Wayne is immature. He's living in the basement of his parents' place. Like, that's the whole idea around Wayne's world is that... He is in rusted development. Yeah. You could tell that even even if it's acting, like, we're, this is all assumptions and stuff, but, like, she was playing it up as being more frustrated than amused with his behavior. And he still was just, like, you know, full steam ahead, like, no problems here. My girlfriend's not going to be frustrated that I'm interrupting her business call. Like, yeah. immature or not, you still know somewhat, like, don't fuck with your girl's shit. Not just that. The first time she shot him the look... Yeah. Like, most men know, I need to shut the fuck up or I'm going to get kicked out or yeah. my ass kicked. And, like, he did neither. He did not take the note for either of those no, options. Like straight ahead. And he's straight just like, ahead. oh, Cassandra's mad at me afterwards? And it's like, yeah, dipshit. Like, of course she's mad at you. Like, you're you're taking something that she takes seriously that is she's passionate about and just made a joke out of it. But at the end of it all, she didn't end up being mad. She was mad in the moment when it was happening. And then she chastised him, and he played off like the, oh, I'm a sad puppy dog, and then boom, gratuitous sex scene. Yeah. Like, the fuck? <laughs> kind of 90s, though. That's very 90s. 90s, 90s movie, yeah. yeah like... Let's brush past the part that was actually problematic that we're, we, we would want to address and go right to the fact of, oh, everything's fine. It was fine that he was doing these things while his girlfriend was on the phone. Yeah. Like, he's just trying to entertain her. I think, as a kid, I did find that part funny but now as an adult i'm like kick him out like you're you're a strong powerful woman and you can tell him to fuck off and like instead she kind of became the trope of i melted for this man even after he acted like a damn fool and then manipulated her to like be like oh this is fine yeah it wasn't great it was kind of icky yeah it wasn't great yeah but also unfortunately very much a part of the trend for 90s with relationships definitely some of the worst relationship dynamics I've seen in entertainment have come from 90s films. Yeah. And they've been always played off as being normal or okay and good in some situations. So it's, like, very uncomfortable when you see gross things happen and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, this is fine because the TV told me so. Yeah. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, what? (laughs) And I think that's, I mean, that that led to a lot of uh, misconceptions about how to interact with people romantically or even socially. I guess what I'm saying is even though generations beyond us have learned those behaviors that they have now from the internet, we learned it from television and movies because that's all we had. Yeah. We didn't have, you know, Reddit to go be like, hey, am I the asshole? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you asked somebody that question and nobody answered it, and then you just kept being the asshole because nobody, you, you never knew. Everybody was too polite to tell you yes. Yeah. You are the asshole. Like, yeah, you wouldn't believe them. You wouldn't believe that the behavior that you're doing was wrong. You'd yeah. Go, no, it's fine. What was the ending? How did you feel about you the ending? You mean that Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings bullshit, motherfucker of the multiple ending shit? Like I hated, I hated it. That. I okay. Hated that. Okay. So, so was like it, just it was me? funny for the first couple minutes, and I've seen that when the multiple ending things happen, it's funny. 
like I'm looking at you 22 Jump Street where they did the entire sequence of sequels to 22 Jump Street and 23 Jump Street and Jump Street in Space like that was funny because by like the fourth one you were like oh my god are they gonna end this but then yeah. it comes back around because it got more and more ridiculous this was ridiculous to start and it had nowhere to go it just stayed ridiculous yeah and while that was like kind of slapsticky comedy in the day like it still didn't it still wouldn't have landed like I, I didn't find it as funny as I I felt it just as unfunny as I did when I was a kid watching it because I didn't I find it funny when I was a kid I confused as a kid yeah. I was like what the fuck is happening like, what ended did it end in my child my feeble child brain saying yeah. what the fuck is happening significant yeah. <laughs> like, I probably didn't say what the fuck is happening I was just like this is weird I don't like it yeah. and I Discomfort. think I and I think I blocked out the ending because I, I remember parts of it. I remember like cherry picked bits of it, yeah. but I don't remember being three. Those three different endings, three right? Different endings. I remember Rob Lowe's smug ass looking at the camera saying, "You really thought Wayne was gonna get the girl?" And I'm like, I always hated that ending. But also, I've always wanted to punch Rob Lowe in the face. <laughs> um, Careful. <laughs> we're gonna have some. We're gonna have some cease and desists after this episode. I'm not gonna actually punch him in the face. It's just he's too pretty to exist. Like he shouldn't be that attractive. We've got to be honest. Rob Lowe has a very well-made face. Rob Lowe knows that Rob Lowe looks good. Yes. Yeah. That was his entire career in the '90s. He knew he looked good. And he got he... his job on West Wing purely off of being Rob Lowe and talking fast. That's fair. you got to learn how to talk fast if you're going to be in an Aaron Sorkin show. That's fair. Like if you don't know how to spit those bars, like you're not going to be anywhere near a Sorkin show. You're going to need an entire like three episode arc dedicated to talking about the West Wing. If any of you don't know Nick on a personal enough level to understand we'll this... We'll only be able to talk about the first season. Because it's the <laughs> only one that happened in the 90s. Everything else happened in the late 2000s. Perfect. I'd lose my shit. Um, it is his favorite television show in all of history. It's the first like, four seasons, I will say. Yes. Those are undefeatable. He could easily watch the full playthrough of The West Wing at least twice a year and be a happy man for the rest of his life. Yeah. That's that's a whole episode that's just going to be Nick behind the wheel and me going, hey, I've seen West Wing too. I have <laughs> things I can say, but kind of leading the show, Nick will have his heyday. So if any of you are annoyed by my voice, or the sound of my voice or me leading in any way this conversation just it's just just be prepared do you have anything else that you want no, to add to this not. part no this this went off the rails and i love it i loved every second of it so we're gonna take a break yeah, we're gonna um break. we're gonna take a short break and hear from our sponsor and uh we'll be right back yeah All this talk of 90s music makes me remember how stellar it was to listen to morning shows in the 90s. Do you remember the fun energy of the segments where you didn't know what the hosts were going to say next, so you didn't turn that dial? If you love to learn the history of the everyday sayings we grew up with, like Hanky Pinky and Dollars to Donuts, totally enjoy funny podcasts, and want to learn more about the etymology of language as much as Nick and I do, then you ought to join Scott and his son Liam as they explore these phrases on their show. Why do we say that? Each episode explores a new handful of phrases. You really never know what you're going to get, and each episode ends with a word game. This season, they play What Word Am I? with some super special VIP guests. If this sounds right up your alley, then give Why Do We Say That? a listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, so we're done complaining about the movie so far, or at least 
bitching about it. <laughs> but let's talk about some of the things we really did like. Uh, I know earlier I talked about the grammar joke that was part of the I don't own a gun, let alone many, to necessitate the need for gun rack. Um, this is going to be a bigger point of mine that I know you brought up earlier with uh, breaking the fourth wall. And I think that Mike Myers is at his peak when he's doing shit that addresses the audience directly. Yes. I, I find him to be at his most both believable and humorous. I would watch Mike Myers do a public access TV show for the whole time. Like, yeah, I, I honestly would sure. watch that. Because, like, while there was that one part when they were doing the showing of Wayne's World where they were in the, quote, teleporter, which was them in front of a green screen because they got a lot of money, and they went to different parts <laughs> of the world... And they're like, oh, look it, we're in Maui, Maka, Makahiliaka, or whatever they said for the Hawaiian stuff that wasn't even Hawaiian. That, but it was, that felt vaguely offensive. But what, what I just did, or what they both. did. Well, I'm, I apologize for that. I wasn't. <laughs> I was more trying to quote what they said. They said something. Uh, it's all good. Yeah. It was problematic. So it was no, problematic, yeah. but it, it was funny because it ended with the whole. And we're in Delaware. <laughs> All right, we're in Delaware. And that was it. That was the whole point. Yeah, because so. they're like, how do you make this spicy? Because there's no yeah. spice to add to I'm in Delaware. Yeah, and like that was one of those breaking fourth wall while breaking the fourth wall type things. Where yes. They were addressing that the show is an artifice while also realizing that the movie they're in is an artifice. Honestly, and I really appreciated the breaking the fourth wall because that trope didn't really have a lot of success until around then. Yes and no. I mean, because yeah, you didn't I agree. see it very often. You didn't. You did not see a lot of the, the the character addressing camera in the same way. You got a lot of voiceovers. And that's another anything. thing. I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, that's another thing that um, we saw a lot of in the '90s too. Yeah. Was the breaking the fourth wall? Yeah, talking right to camera. It's funny a lot of the times. It's it has to be done specifically well though, because I can think of other times when breaking that fourth wall to talk at camera does not feel comfortable and it feels it feels off-putting like yeah like something got ruined in that way because it's a very it's a very theater technique to do that you're bringing into a not theater space like you can't directly interact with the audience the same way that you could break in the fourth wall at the goodman theater or chicago theater but even then it has to be done in a certain way yeah. where people are not receptive towards it. Yeah. Because they're like, this guy's going off book? What's happening? Yeah, you gotta, gotta work on your character or crowd work at that point in time. Yeah. Like that's when you get up on stage and you just look at somebody in the audience and say, what's your name? And stuff like that. Yeah. The uh, We're in Delaware yeah. ties into one of the positives that I have for the movie. Mm-hmm. It is such a fucking quotable movie. It is. It's a very quotable movie. It's so quotable. Yeah, there's a lot of really great lines that you could just throw out there that still land regardless of context. And like how you brought up like the product placement. That was one of the things I had written down as a quote. Yeah. That just... <laughs> I will not bow to any sponsor <laughs> product placement, followed with Pizza Hut, Doritos, Reebok, Nuprin, the Tylenol oh, kind of ask ad. Nuprin. Yeah. It's the new one. <laughs> and Pepsi. And Pepsi. Which yeah. was very hip of them to do. Nuprin isn't even a thing anymore. That's the funniest part of that I didn't even know Nuprin. Wait, that's real? That was real. That was a real uh, uh, anti-inflammatory slash pain reliever. I thought that was made up for the movie. I'm fairly certain it's real like oh. i'm like 70 30 on the edge it's real maybe maybe <laughs> big 70, old question mark maybe 75 25 I'll leaning see. towards it's real 
but yeah, I thought New Prim was a thing because like that was that I thought that's what made that joke even funnier is that it's not even a thing anymore. It might still be a thing. Really? I Where searched, the hell can you buy it? I searched it. It says ibuprofen brand name New Prim. I've never heard of that in my life. That is fascinating. That's so fit. I mean, besides the movie, obviously. Like. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're looking at a time capsule. You're going to see things that are old in the time capsule. Yeah. If it survives the groundwater, of course. And there were some gross quote parts, because, like, like marriage is a punishment in some countries for shoplifting. Didn't Ed O'Neill's character say that? No. Who said that? I believe Wayne said it, referencing Stacy, his ex-girlfriend. Oh, that's right. That's, oh, gross. Oh, back to that yeah. one. Yeah. Back to that one again. Yeah. Little, little, little bit of a rollback, but, yeah. yeah, that was just, I have, I have notes. I've got notes. I mean, surprise Ed O'Neill uh, spotting as he's playing one of the coldest bastards I've ever seen in television or film in a long yes. time. Like, for being such a funny guy, knowing how to be the curmudgeonly person, like, I never thought he'd be... I killed a man in Vietnam one time. (laughs) He is my favorite loosely defined cameo in that film. Yes. I even made a note here tied between Mr. Ed, Mr. Ed, sorry. (laughs) I was reading two lines at the same time. I do remember Mr. Ed in the show. I do remember horse. Tied between Mr. Al Bundy himself, Ed O'Neill, as the owner of Stan Makita's donut shop, Glenn. Yes. He's unhinged and I love it. And Alice Cooper, especially how he went into the spiel about the history of Milwaukee. Yes. You mentioned to me is also on the autism spectrum, so it kind of makes sense. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I, I believe I read somewhere or heard somewhere that he's on the autism spectrum, but, like, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And also, it seemed to play very well into the public-slash-private persona that Alice Cooper has, where yes. he, in private, is a very down-to-earth guy who likes to yeah. talk about educational, historical things, because that's his, that's his shtick, but, like, when he's on stage, he's gonna he's gonna be wearing his eyeliner and he plays an asshole yeah. on stage, but he's not in person. Yeah. It's 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 very interesting. I always love when when performers have that kind of dichotomy between their personalities, where you don't know if you're gonna get the the on stage performer who's the big gruff like look at me how awesome I am, hail Satan type shit, and then in the background when he's by himself, he's like you know, Grey Poupon is not that bad of a condiment. Like, <laughs> the Grey Poupon drop in that too. I know. I have a quote written down, and I can't tell if it was Glenn or if it was Alice Cooper that said it. Okay. But I think it was one of the two, and anybody out there correct me if I'm wrong. I wrote down, do I frighten you? And then the response was no. Do you want me to? I think that was I think that was Ed O'Neill's character. That was hilarious. That was and it was so unexpected yeah. and so unhinged. Yeah. Like I said, he's It cold. was beautiful. Stone cold. He's, yeah. He was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> One of my notes I have here is just Garth Furry quote or question mark. And I think that was when he was talking about the one time was like, Have you ever been attracted to when Bugs Bunny dresses up like a girl bunny? And I immediately thought of Lola Bunny at that moment, because that did happen. Because, like, Bugs would dress up as a female yes. all the time. Yes, And then Lola Bunny happened, and then an entire generation of people became furries because of that particular movie. I wouldn't give full credit to it, but I would give most credit okay, to it. Okay, fine, then. Disney's Robin Hood was the real genesis of that. But yes. then it got worse when, you know, Lola Bunny came about. To our generation, I mean. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, but our like, generation also saw that Robin Hood film. Well, yeah, That's why I'm saying I'm not going to give full credit. It was foundational to build upon. You know, Robin Hood walked <laughs> so that Lola Bunny could run, okay? Fine. Yeah. Fine. 
Although, tying into that, I did make a note about one of the sexist parts that I enjoyed was the foxy lady scene. Oh my god, yes. I think... Which might also be part of your questioning of whether or not he's a furry. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. I don't think that that was as sexist as it was, as it could have been. Yeah. I think the fact that it was Garth doing it and Garth being both A, so socially dysfunctional. Yes. And B, so <laughs> borderline physically detrimental shyness. Like, he breaks himself with his shyness and how yeah. much he, he cannot put himself out there unless he has somebody to cover with him. Which makes that scene where Wayne gets fired and he's the only one on stage feel even more stressful and painful. It's like, yeah, it's not only just Garth in a place that he's never been before, it's Garth in a place he just doesn't want to be there. Like, it's not that it was foisted upon him, like, he just, he cannot function yeah. because of that. So, like, having the scene where he's doing Jimi Hendrix Foxy Lady fucking slaps, like, that song slaps, I don't care, uh, I'll fight people. Was, was one of those moments where it felt, like, <laughs> it felt like it could have been a lot more sexist, but because it's Garth who is both innocent and very almost childlike. They and, both are. Uh, yeah, but in Wayne's, different directions. Wayne's more of a teenager where like he can still be an asshole for a lot of things. Garth really does feel like a 12, 11 year old kid who's like just There's figuring shit out. To yeah. Him. Like, yeah. He, he, he would be surprised to find out, like, oh, you smoke pot sometimes type shit. Mm-hmm. Like, he has that kind of like incredulity about the world around him. Um, so, like, when the Foxy Lady thing happened, it felt very like innocent and like what you'd, what a child would think would be seducing a woman is. Yes. Which I thought was very funny. Also, with that particular part, I think what stood out to me the most with that of being able to take and separate it from feeling sexist is it was framed explicitly in a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just okay, is this happening? Like, are they being gross in public or are they being gross in their heads? This was very much, they put it in the parameters of this is clearly a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. You know there's a start and an end to this. You didn't really know when it started, but when it ended, you knew for sure. You're like, okay, this isn't really happening right now. So you're like, okay, that's normal. People do that all the time. People do like the live their fantasy in their heads, whatever. Yeah. So like that was a little bit more forgivable than the swing parts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the the swing parts were always ones that felt very... uh gross to me or like when they would comment about how someone was a stone cold babe and like that's that seemed to be the only qualifier that they had for that particular person to have interest in them yeah like they had to be hot in order for me to even give a shit it's like what if they're good you know conversationalists what they got good ideas and shit yeah what books have they read ask them that ask people that question and you know honestly that's partly why my favorite character in that film is cassandra yeah She's the most well-rounded of people. She's well-rounded. She's level-headed. She's realistic. Mm-hmm. She's not built just to be the bombshell that you no. think she's going to be thrown in as. She had some Yoko Ono moments, though, when she was singing, though. I'll be honest about that one. What do you mean? <laughs> Specifically? So, like, while I understand that she was doing the more, like, heavy metal-esque screaming-type singing... It was very hard for me to not hear her scream at sometimes and think immediately of like a John and Yoko song from the late seventies. Where like it's just Yoko honest to God shrieking into a microphone. I disagree. I actually made a note of this. I made a note how much I appreciated the Joan Jet esque Cassandra. 
She loved the band. It's the best possible casting. They chose the perfect person to lead her or as to lead as Cassandra. No, I guess I guess I'm I'm getting mixed up on what I'm trying to say is like it's not the whole performance wasn't bad. Like it wasn't. I, I, I'm not going to add it to a playlist anytime soon, but it's not going to be something I turn off if it plays on my my music. It's just there were some moments where she would she would do a, a scream or yelp or something that very much sounded like Yoko Ono. And I, I, I would kind of like balk at that for a moment, be like, whoa, and then realize it's just Tia Carrera in the 90s. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. But like, it, it was hard for me to completely separate that image when it happened, when I would hear that tonality and then immediately just smash those two people together knowing that she's not Yoko. She's not. But anyway. I have one other note that pertains to music in the film and I, yeah, that's it after that. <laughs> um, I, well, no, there's, there's two parts. There's two things. Technically three. I'm just reading more as I go down the line and realizing, no, there's not one. There's two. There's three. Okay. I promise it's only three points that I'm going to make that are musical, and they don't really necessarily have to build up to anything, but I'm curious of your thoughts on them. Okay. Number one, I loved Garth's dog. Yes. That border collie with the Tina Turner. Yes. Mullet wig. Yes. Iconic. Adorable. Beautiful. Ten out of ten. Needs to be a meme. Yep. Okay. Give him a TV show. <laughs> I noticed during watching this that Dana Carvey looks like Rivers Cuomo, and I can't unsee it now. Yeah, I do. The 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 yeah, front man of Weezer. For those of you who don't know who Rivers Cuomo is, you know you sure as fuck know if you're listening to this podcast who Weezer is. If not, we're no longer friends. That's no. Hold on a second. <laughs> we, we don't want to. We're just gonna, you know, have borderline conversations for a little bit not like no, we're, we're just it's not that we're not friends with you if you don't know who Weezer is it's just we're not gonna invite you to the parties every time every time sometimes yeah like big especially ones. if it's a Weezer album yeah. themed party yeah like a birthday or a graduation sure we'll invite you to still but if it's like a a Thursday afternoon where we're just gonna get Schwacy like if you don't know Weezer we might pass up that invite yeah just take the note say thank you take the note that's it <laughs> just say thank you take the note um, my last and most important music-related point for the positives, Dana Carvey actually played the drum solo in the music store. Yeah, that motherfucker rips. Beautiful. It was awesome. I had to look this up. I had to pause the movie, poor Nick, because I did this like three times during the movie. I was just like, I need to look this up. I need to pause so I can focus and think. Just um, her, I was also wanting to look stuff up, too. So, opportunity for all. Yes. Um, Everyone won. Um, you're getting so quiet right now. Everybody's going to be like, I couldn't hear Nick again. Well, I'm afraid to move because, like, the microphone's on me, and when I talk too loud, it shakes the microphone, causing more sounds. Like, text size, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm trapped. You chose this life. I did not choose this life. I was going <laughs> to hold the microphone like an adult, but my hands twitch. I, I'm fidgety. And then the fidgeting it's... picks up on the microphone. So... And... But anyway, anyway, he fucking wailed. Yeah, he fucking rips. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, Dana Carvey just killed it. I did not know it. that he played. I did not either. That was a very pleasant surprise, mm -hmm. and it makes me a little sad that I have not seen him play more often outside of a character or something. Like, yeah. I would love to see him in like some kind of like dad band that gets together on a weekend <laughs> every now and then with like yeah. him and... and 
Mike Myers on bass or something, or like Steve Carell on saxophone or some bullshit like that. Does Steve Carell play saxophone? No, but him and Dana Carvey were friends. Like, our friends. Oh. Yeah, Steve Carell was in the, the Dana Carvey show when it aired on That's right. ABC. Yeah, it was, it was Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, I'm fairly certain was on there. That's like Mr. Show. I had a whole conversation yeah. about Mr. Show and realized, like, how many big names are in yeah. Mr. Show. Like, we gotta give SNL credit for some of the talent that they've been able to put out there, despite a lot of their movies being trash. Like... Hey! You're gonna look me in the face and say MacGoober was a good movie? Most of their movies are trash, but not all of them. I didn't say all of them. I said a lot of them. I could count on probably two hands, if that, good movies that were made with SNL yeah. as, like, a production. That's fair. That had Lorne Michael pro- executively produced on them and something. Yeah. But yeah, like, I would love to see Dana Carvey, like, in a band with a bunch of other rock and roll slash comedy dads. Just playing some dad rock on the weekends. Yeah. Playing the Eagles. <laughs> Man, yeah, fuck the, the Eagles. Eagles. <laughs> um, what are some things that you thought they did well in the movie? Like, nailed it. Like, could not have done it any better. It's not so much well, but it was definitely something that felt emblematic of the times that I miss. And that was the gigantic baggy suits. Yeah. Like... <laughs> David Byrne and fucking a concert in Japan type <laughs> shit. Like, Rob Lowe is... Swimming. He's... Honest to God, he looks like he's wearing a tent. And I loved it so much. As a person who has always had to struggle with clothes that didn't fit quite right, because I'm oddly shapened, seeing people who were that handsome wearing suits though that hideous, chef's kiss. Like, it made me feel better about myself immensely. Because it's like, nobody looked good in those suits. We should bring back clothes that nobody looks good in so everyone feels comfortable again. <laughs> it's already happening. It's called bringing back 90s fashion. Ma'am, we wore that fashion hardcore and we loved it. I want a pair of Jinko jeans now. I don't want a pair of Jinko jeans now. But good I answer. do think that Jinko jeans are pretty awesome. You can put an entire Super Nintendo console in the back pocket. Like, 10 out of 10. You could fit a small family in the legs. 10 out of 10. You're only giving me reasons to want more. Like you're not helping. <laughs> you're not helping dissuade me. Okay, what else did they do well? I don't. I. I think. I think. Do you have notes for the things that they did well? I, I just got notes. Be, I got random notes yeah, for stuff. Yeah, like, I tried to be somewhat positive and like I kept a negatives and positive side so I can be neutral. No, I. I just went down and when I saw something that I thought was interesting or I wanted to talk about, I wrote it down. Like border collie Garth was adorable. Something I <laughs> yeah. There was a Chris Farley spotting. Yes. Chris, that was pretty interesting. I think It was security. Yeah, he was one of the security. I think what they did well overall was being able to transfer what essentially is a skit or a sketch into a full-fledged movie that wasn't only entertaining and kept my attention, but had an okay storyline. Yeah. Considering that all that they were able to work with was just Dana Carvey and Mike Myers in a basement set as like a genesis yeah it's almost like when you see ted lasso turn up to be a, a as good of a show as it is from a fucking commercial like yes. that, was, that was an advertisement and they took that character and turned him into like one of the better most well-rounded sitcom characters yeah 3d person yeah, a 3d person he had, yes. he had goals he had fears he had weaknesses like you felt like you could run into ted lasso at the supermarket and he'd still say you can cut in front of me. It's fine, type shit. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, like honey, that, I wasn't in any hurry. Like, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that feels like that level of, of creation and, and fleshing out of both story and characters is what felt like Wayne's World was. Like, they don't feel like characters. They feel like people. Like, I would walk into Wayne at the library, 100%. I've walked into people who were very much like Wayne at the library. They just don't have the hat, but they do very much have the... Persona. Yeah, where I've heard somebody flat out do excellent when I said something. <laughs> and I actually, that was some of the notes of what they did well that I had. They nailed the airhead culture of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. They nailed the corporate slimeball sleazebag culture of the 80s and 90s. <laughs> oh, hold on. I have one more no, I gotta I'll, add. I'll let you, but I gotta rag on top, I, Rob Lowe one more time. I gotta round this out here yeah. because... I have, I have a statement I need to make. Make your statement. And I'm going to put I'm it out there for the world, and y'all can accept it, or y'all can walk. I'm not stopping it. Go <laughs> Those ahead. are your options. Make your statement. Make your statement. They did excellent at representing, uh, do you like how I said excellent? <laughs> excellent. Public access television shows, the representation of it, on point. Now, here's my rally. Here's the part that I'm going to jump into, because I right, had this right. realization right. while I was watching the movie, okay? Go ahead. Anybody who complains about podcasting is also shitting on public access television because the original podcast arguably could be said to be, outside of radio, public access television. It was unique broadcasts made to a specific niche audience with specific points that they were trying to make with specific subjects per episode. I can get behind that and agree with you. Thank you. I'm not going to fight you on it. Thank you. I'm not going to fight you on it. What you will fight me on. <laughs> Other than the medium being different, you're right. That yes. is exactly how they were they were presented. Was very much uh, you got two doofuses in the basement of their mom's house just talking. Yeah. And and kibitzing about nonsense. And let's be frank, if you're not doing research for your podcast and having it be edited to the point of like crispness, like it's on NPR, like you're doing public access shit. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Like yeah. I don't think that there's anything shameful in doing that. Like. You're, you're putting yourself out there. You're taking your shot to try and be a content creator. Yeah. For, for lack of a better way of framing it, because everything needs to be commodified. Gotta... No. Sorry. So I got to shit on Rob Lowe one last time. Yeah, you got to shit on Rob Lowe. I got to shit on Rob Lowe one last time. <laughs> there was a scene when <laughs> everything was all said and done, all the contracts were signed, and they were celebrating. And At the tiki bar, right? I think so. Somebody made a comment I have a about, note about the tiki bar. Somebody made a comment about champagne. And Rob Lowe... Comes in with his smug smugness. Yes! And he talks. Champagne <laughs> is only called that when it's from the Champagne region of France. Otherwise, it's sparkling white Spark, wine. Sparkling white wine. And he it, can sit on it and spin. And, okay. mo- and I know that. I know it's a line. I know that he mm. was told to say that. Mm. I, I have. <laughs> I have strong words for people who are that pedantic in conversations that they have to correct you about what is wine and what is champagne. And like, only piss one, off, it gets me drunk. Only one quote comes to mind, and it came from one of the cards that they had with the questions, this man has no penis. This man has no penis. And that's what no it penis. came to yeah. mind like, in that scene. That's, that's all I thought in my head, is like, this man has no penis, or this man has never met, had a woman orgasm. Like, that's all that, that came into mind. Yes. Like, that's, this character has never had a woman satisfied. He blows goats, I have proof. <laughs> he blows goats, I have proof. <laughs> like, 10 out of 10. Like, like, those cards are the best way to define Rob Lowe's character in that film. Honestly, yeah. They were aimed at the wrong person. Was Noah 
uh, the Noah's Arcade Noah, like, yeah, lecherous and gross? Yes. Sure. Did he deserve to hold he blew goats and I have proof? No, he didn't deserve that. I mean, the no dick one he did. He didn't give us enough. Yeah, he didn't give us enough shit to be like, you deserve this. Yeah. Rob Lowe's character, yeah, he blows goats and I have proof. Yes. Like, 10 out of 10. Yeah. 100%. Maybe not 10 out of 10, but definitely 100%. He blows goats. There's pictures. I don't want them. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) I don't actually own the pictures. I don't remember. Okay, so this was a celebration part, but I don't remember if the tiki bar happened as a separate part or if it happened as the same part. There might have been a party that had the champagne fiasco, mm-hmm. but in the tiki bar, when yeah. they were talking about contract negotiations with Rob Lowe's character, that huge fucking blue beverage with all the the the, uh, the shit in it. Yes, they had all the umbrellas and pineapple Garth chunks. got that one, didn't he? Yes, yeah. I would drink that. Like, it would take me, like, three straight days to drink that because, like, I'm not only a lightweight, but goddamn, that's a lot of liquid. It looked amazing. And yeah. it came in one of those shell cups. Yeah. Well, like, bowl-type things that they usually only give you ice cream in. It felt forbidden. <laughs> Another moment of Garth's innocence and childlike behavior is because when he, that comes out, he is blown away about how this thing looks. Yes. Like, he is shocked by how it looks. And clearly, he ordered the drink because it looked good. Not so much that he knew what it was going to taste like. Yeah. And, like, that's a very kid thing to do. Like, this looks cool. Let's do it. Then you eat it. (laughs) And you're like, oh, this was gross. Like, this was really alcoholic-y. And I didn't like it. But he likes to play, so. And what also tied into that. Yes. With the childlike wonder of Garth. I don't know if anybody else has ever noticed this watching it, but I caught it and just like a split second realized what he was wearing. He had a calculator watch on. The whole time, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I I never like processed that before. Yeah. And so just to see that, I was just like, damn, he's not only a nerd getting treated like shit because it was the 90s. We did not grow up in the golden age of nerd culture. Like, no, now we got it's shit like, on for a bunch of different stuff. Now we all have podcasts. Yeah, and like but, comic books and shit. Like, yeah. I got berated for liking half the shit I did growing mm-hmm. up because it was nerd bullshit. Yep. Video games and comic books and shit that everyone loves now. I'm like, man, I got called so many names because that shit. It's nonsense. <laughs> three more three more main points three and, more and main we're, points. we're gonna hold this one home okay Illinois slash Chicago references even though I'm still mad that they did not film any of this fucking movie in Chicago besides the on location shots which had no actors on site it was literally just a film crew yeah. going around doing shots in Cicero and Berwyn and Chicago fuck them not even in Aurora I don't think there was a single scene shot in Aurora. No, I don't think there was either. That iconic scene where they are singing Bohemian Rhapsody in the car was either in Cicero or Berwyn. I can't remember 100%. I want to see it with Cicero. But how dare they? They dared. How dare they? And what's even worse is the people in the car were not in Cicero for this shot. Or Berwyn, whichever. They were... (laughs) on some sort of set or driving down some sort of road. Yeah, soundstage in, in Vegas or in Angeles, Los Angeles. From what I understand, they were actually driving down just a road in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. I, um, did, I did see the Empire Carpet advertisement come up on TV one Yes, time, so. that's one of the notes I had. Okay. <laughs> Chicago Street Hockey. It's, oh my God. Street hockey. hockey? Street Hockey. Yeah, car. Chicago Street Hockey with the Blackhawks jerseys. Huh. 
Yeah. Perfect. Nailed it. Like, the sweater's beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah, I didn't even think Garth was wearing, like, a Tony Esposito or a... Or a uh, I don't remember specifically who they were wearing. Ed Belfour. I think he was wearing an Ed Belfour jersey, actually. I'm not sure. Ed Belfour was effing crazy. <laughs> he was the best. I miss him. Yeah, I don't remember. I didn't actually pay attention to the jerseys because I was making a note that I was so happy yeah. that they were showing street hockey in Chicago because that's... Heart. That was like a that was a staple of all of our childhoods. Game on. Yeah. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a lot of my my young young kid days. All of the Illinois TV ads, specifically five eighty to three hundred Empire. Today. They don't do the today in the nineties. I know it was back in the original time. <laughs> it's almost like the same big money at Menards. And I was like Menards. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. It's gone. <laughs> But between that and the scene on TV ads, yes, right before Wayne's World like started actually playing the show, yeah, beautiful, perfect, no notes. Actually, while we're on that subject, let's 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 keep rolling with this this particular part. Then. All right, um, because there I made a couple notes of of movie references and television show references that were also in the film. Okay. Terminator? Yeah, the T2 reference. I was surprised I was the one who picked up on it before you did. Because anybody who knows Nick knows this motherfucker is a movie buff. He is the IMDB. The oh, M. Stop. The <laughs> M in IMDB stands for Mitchell and it's for Nick. But yes, Robert Patrick, and that was pretty interesting to see. Yes! And they had him walk up like the character the in Terminator. And they had him run away because he was like, oh shit, I'm in the Terminator. Yeah. Like, he realized what was happening. How have you seen this Eddie boy? Furlong? Yeah. Yes. John Connor. Have you seen this boy? It's Eddie Furlong. It's like, yes. damn. And then Mission Impossible, the moment they had with, with Garth and the guys, like, the, I didn't even realize Mission Impossible had come out that, like, prior to that. I thought Mission Impossible came out after that. The films did, yes. Yeah, so Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise came out in, like, 96, 97, I want to say. But the music played. There was a television show back in, like, the 60s or 70s that was also oh. Mission Impossible. And that's uh. that was where they did the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. Which they did play in the movie. Yes, but that, okay. that's from the TV show first. See, I didn't and know it that. And it has since transitioned into a film franchise. Gotcha. Because gotcha. Tom Cruise doesn't know how to make movies without, you know, being in them and doing all of them and running. He has to run in everything. Well, because he looks real tall when he's running. He does. He looks great when he's running. Good for him. Brad Pitt's got to eat something, and t- Tom Hanks has to pee in something. That's all I know. <laughs> Those are the three three actors that I know have to or do with. friend a ball of some yeah. sort. <laughs> Tom Hanks has to pee in a movie, and Brad Pitt has to eat something. Every time. Every movie I've seen, they've done the, They've done one of those two things. Now, transitioning a little bit into yeah. the TV show side of things. Sure. The Laverne and Shirley montage. 10 out of 10. Perfect. Perfect. No, no. That was one of the best parts of that movie for me. It was great. It was, it was great. Yeah. It was wonderful. I can't even put it to words how, like, majestic it was. Yeah, I think what made it better was that they were in Milwaukee when that happened for that sequence. Like, that was the whole, like... I don't think they filmed that part in no, Milwaukee, I though. No, I wasn't saying they filmed it, Which, but, like, storyline-wise, yeah. like, they went to Milwaukee for the, the Alice Cooper concert, so that's when they did the, the Laverne and Shirley, and I'm like, the whole time that that was happening, I was... It, it felt great to watch the Laverne and Shirley show like that. Like, it was incredible. And it was a great way to express one of the best quotes in the film. Platonic love can exist between two men. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was can. the pinnacle of it right there. Yeah, it was with, with Wayne and Garth. Those were two men who loved each other, but platonically. And showing the Laverne and Shirley, like, kind of brought that, like, feminine air to it to be like, hey, we're comfortable saying, like, yeah. we love each I other love without you, saying I love you, man. I love you, too. Yeah. No, you don't understand. I love you. <laughs> no, I love you. <laughs> two men can that, love each other platonically. That did that did happen. That was yeah. one of the part with the guys. You yeah, know, with the whole crew. Yeah, the crew and the one guy who's like always kind of drunken out of it. It's like I love you, man. <laughs> Couple more notes and then we'll be wrapping. <laughs> I have a lot of things to say about this movie. I'm sorry to whoever's exhausted at this point or has turned off the podcast. To anybody who is still listening, thank you for listening to us drone on about this fabulous Preach. movie. The amount of time that this podcast will take up is the same length that the film is to watch. <laughs> so you're welcome to watch while you listen. Cool. It's not going to line up very well at all. This it's is not, not Dark the, Side of the Moon. Was <laughs> like, if we did do that, that'd be fucking epic. We, would be, we would be wonderful people for that. Oh my God. We'd be geniuses mm-hmm. if we could figure that one out. Yeah. But we, we're not. At this rate, we could have honestly watched the movie and made comments during, but that's okay. Next time. Maybe. I, I suggested we should do that for next time because we don't have to necessarily have the sound play in the podcast. It could just be us commenting. Right. Almost like a... Like a Mystery Space Theater 3000 type True. thing. True. Or like a, like we could do a double watch too where we watch it one time through so we can make our notes or whatever and then the second time when it's fresh yeah, we again. Have the, we have the podcaster commentary. Yes. Podcaster yeah. commentary. We'll see. You'll, you guys will... You're just gonna... Yeah, let gonna, us know. Yeah, we're gonna Let us know it. in the contents below. Like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Nick how handsome he is. You know, the usual. No, don't do that. I'm not handsome. Don't do that. Stop. Stop it. Don't do that. Stop it. Gross. Scooby-Doo. What about it? There was a Scooby-Doo part in the end. Yeah, I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you meddling kids. I think they did that wonderfully. I think they did pretty good on that one. Out of the three endings, that was my favorite ending. They should have ended it on that one. That should have been the end-end. Like, yes. Like, we're done here. Like, yes. Roll credits. It played shit. some of the hacky jokes that they really wanted to lean into. Yeah. It played up a lot of the tropes of that era, The, the both the adults and the kids who'd seen Scooby-Doo and was like, <laughs> this is silly. Yeah. Like, Perfect. Why add the other two endings? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I... I you don't know. I didn't like it when Lord of the Rings did it. I'm not gonna... I didn't like it when Wayne's World did it. I don't like multiple endings for my TV show slash movies. And I haven't seen it's, Lord of the Rings. Don't murder me, internet, please. It's it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. It's He's fine. working on I'm it. Working on it. I, I don't um, do well with long things. Like, so, like, long films. Long things? That sounds terrible. <laughs> I don't do well with long movies because I have ADHD and my brain goes... And it's just and not And if we're fun. not watching the extended releases, are we even watching the movie? Like, are we even experiencing Middle Earth? And ain't nobody got time for that. We do, but we have to... It, it's a devotion. It is it's a, a sacrifice <laughs> that we have to give J.R.R. Tolkien sometimes. And Peter Jackson, be like, you worked your, your your heart and soul into these films, sir. We'll honor your legacy by observing your art. Anyway, let's let's wrap. But they're this. good movies that we need to. <laughs> Two more points. Oh my gosh, you said that three points ago. One of them was a Chicago point, and I have to roll it back now because I'm a dumbass. Pre nine eleven. Pre nine eleven. You could go to O'Hare Airport yep. and watch the planes land over you. Like they do in the movie. 
pre nine eleven, I could carry a cigarette pack onto a plane. But there was a lot of things we could have done pre nine eleven. But the thing that sucks though is I never got a chance to experience that. I know people who growing up, their families or their friends or whoever, they would go to the airport and they would just watch planes land, and like that's some cool shit. I mean, it's a little risky, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like you're gonna be on a bridge, uh, you know, driving under a tour bus. That was a stretch. I was yeah. trying to make another Chicago reference, and it was bad. I mean, if we were... Was it Bare Naked Ladies? Absolutely that not. That dumped their shit all over the... No. Was it Bare Naked Ladies? No. Who was it? It was Dave Matthews' band. Close enough. It was, it was the Dave same Matthews band. Dave Matthews' band dropping their entire uh, 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 tour bus... Dar- or, or, what is it? Waste. Wastewater. Yes. Yeah, it's called something else. But this I is their waste container. Gray water. Gray water Ew. is what it's called. That makes it sound even worse. Well, yeah, it was feces, okay? There was feces in there. There was shit. Like, people got shat on. They called on. the shit poop. They called the shit poop. <laughs> Some people got shat on by Dave Matthews. Like, talk about crashing into me. Gross. I know. <laughs> that's, that's offensive and absurd. We'll cut it in post. Don't well, worry. yeah, we're going to. We're not cutting it in post. <laughs> <laughs> One final point before we wrap. Okay, last Do you point have three. anything else to add before I add my final point? Because you have a lot of notes too. See, he makes it look like I'm the asshole with all the notes, but we both are the no assholes. No one with said all you're notes. an asshole. No one. What I was getting griped about. I'm using about, asshole loosely. What I was using the gripe about is you said I have one more point, and then you hit the point. I have five more points, <laughs> and then we got done with those points. I have three more points. I swear this is my last three points. This is my last five points. You said three two points ago. It's fine. I got in my defense, in the notes defense. app is not friendly to making comments in a podcast. Absolutely correct. If that you're is, unorganized an and have ADHD, like no I do, lie in that statement. You also take that moment to go, "Hey, this point will fit in here, fine, right?" And then you go and you put it there, and you're like, "No, I'll save this for later." Yeah, it sucks. So, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Internet. All right, Nick, what you got? What you got? Yeah, fuck the Internet. (laughs) Uh, Fuck Twitter. Fuck Twitter. I think that's all I got. Oh, yeah. No, this one. This one. This is more of like a, a, a reflection on time and how shit has changed. CD players were once a luxury. Yes. Fucked my life up. Yes. Like, I, being in the generation that is on the cusp of CD players becoming a thing... Never really thought of them being luxury. Like, they were expensive, sure. Mm-hmm. They were difficult to get. Like, you didn't just go to a, a, a Walmart and pick one off the shelf and be like, I'm just going to walk out with this. Like, they were expensive. Yeah. But they weren't, like, you could only get it one time in your life expensive to us as, as our timeline goes. Like, we watched DVD players come from being the super luxury to you could buy a $30 one from Big Lots. But CD players always were the ones that you could pick up at, like, a convenience store. Yes. Not a convenience store, but, like, a really, like, a Walmart or Walgreens or, like, a small drugstore. But that's almost comparable to, like, kids who grew up with 8-tracks and then saw those. And, like, for us is the MP3. Yeah. So the MP3 was the luxury. But that took, like, what, a year and a half to go from being luxury to being commonplace? Like you could because buy... technology moves quickly. Yeah. That's a whole different episode. That is a whole different episode. <laughs> yeah. But like with CD players, they came onto the scene being luxury and they were still, they were luxury for a minute before we came around to realize what CD players were. Yeah. 
But then by the time we were grown up, like, they weren't luxury to us, but they've been luxury for a long time. Yeah, you could go to Walgreens right now and pay $10 and get a CD player. Yeah, and you could do the same now with an MP3 player. Like, yeah. it's nothing to get those things. Oh, yeah, for technology sure. advances, that happens. But it was just such a jostling moment. It's like when you find out... It's like when you're watching an old movie and nobody picks up a cell phone and you don't really realize it until, like, halfway through the movie because you're like, oh... They didn't have cell phones back then. Yeah. And, like, you realize that time has changed. <laughs> like, when Cassandra picked up the old, like, not rotary yeah, phone, the but... Gigantor brick. I love those phones, though. Uh, the, yeah. the, the plastic of it. Yeah, the, the ones real that definitely Americana. gave you brain cancer. Yeah. Yeah, definitely radiation right to the brain. Right <laughs> to the dome. You're thinking of cell phones. That's what Rob Lowe had. Fair. I'm talking Fair. about just the old house phones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like... With yeah. the square buttons that you had to press. I don't know why I said press. <laughs> you had to, you, you push the buttons. But it's okay. Okay. I brought up Cassandra, which is good. Yes. Because I actually, that's my final, final point. point. That's, this final is my point. last point before we make the you, ultimate decision about this film. You get the final say. I appreciated the Cantonese conversation that happened between Cassandra and Wayne. Yes. Now, the note I made for this is this. It was such a smart way to acknowledge that there was more to Wayne than the persona he puts on for everyone, and also gave us a chance to see how Cassandra can smoothly, smoothly redirect him to see where his labeling of someone like his ex was poor judgment on his part. There was an opportunity for growth there, and they went with it, and it was successful. Yes. And after that, we kind of saw Wayne yeah, not as he, obnoxious. No, he was not. He was not as cruel about the crazy ex-girlfriend trope with. Stacy. Yes. I will I will concede to that one. After the conversation with Cassandra, he definitely felt more um, or less uh, forced. Uh, I wasn't going to say forced, but as as quick to jump to the whole she's crazy. Yeah. As quick to just put her in a box and that's mm-hmm. the only box that she can live in now. Right. He, he saw her as a person a bit more after that. And yeah. it grew as time went on, but that's growth. That's how people grow. So, all right. That's it. That's it. So final final verdicts. The ultimate I, question. Did it age well? If I had to give it on a scale of one to ten, and if it aged well. Which is one and which is ten? Ten is it aged great. Okay. Ten is perfect. It's mint, it can never mint. change. Ten okay. is iron giant. Like no matter what time has passed, <laughs> it is a perfect film from beginning to end all the way through every time. Okay. Like it's, it's been so long since I've seen that film, I don't really have like a point of reference for that but that's okay we're gonna go with it i trust your judgment also from the 90s so we're gonna watch it and i know make you sob sorry i know um, i remember i saw it as a child yeah i just it probably i probably blocked it out because that's a traumatic ass movie oh it's super traumatic yeah i remember that much there's trauma in it so on a scale from one to ten with one being not aging well at all and ten being aged fine i would settle on like a six and a half seven i disagree okay go ahead I would put it at a six. Okay. There was a lot of space to grow and improve on what it was. Okay. There was a lot... We spent about equal time in the problematic and positive sides of it. So, like, I'm kind of trying to stay neutral on it because that's how I've kind of just been trying to look at it. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that with every movie. If a movie fucking sucks, I'm going to tell you. But, like, this is one of those movies where the nostalgia factor, I'm playing into it a little bit. Neutral. I'm going to put it in, like, a neutral space. You know, can we do that? Can we just, instead of putting it on a 1 to 10 scale, like... Up, down, neutral? Yeah. Yeah. Did it, a- did it age well? Yes. No. 
yes and no. I, I would I would be neutral if that's the scale we're working with. That seems like the safest and the easiest one to go yeah. with because numbers can get kind of. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, if it, if it's the scale of up down neutral, Wayne's World is neutral for me. Same. It, it didn't it didn't age poorly, but it didn't age well. Would you watch it again? Yes. But I'm gonna complain about it the whole time. Yeah, that's that's my. Like that's I'll my watch take it and I'll laugh at the good jokes that I thought were good, but I will I will look at those points in time where there is the the overstep, even in today's view of of what was commonplace. Like looking at it through the lens of this came out in the '90s, this is '90s behavior. There's still stuff that was problematic in it. Yeah. So that's kind of the reason on why I would keep it neutral. Because it'd be stuff I'd comment on it, even if I saw this back in '93, and if I was the age I am now. It's kind of a time capsule, unfortunately. It is. And with time capsules, there are going to be points of error that we would like to correct now. Yes. But back then, it was the standard and norms. Does that make that behavior forgivable? Absolutely not. But, but. it's something to keep in mind. Yes, it is. I agree. I'm good. You good? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us. Mm-hmm. Please be on the lookout soon for our next episode where only Alice Cooper knows what we'll be talking about. We're not worthy. We're, We're not worthy. If you enjoyed your time here with us, be sure to subscribe to be notified of all of our future episodes. And even better, drop us a brand new electronic mail and let us know what you think. Fancy. Our email address is WTF90PODPOD at gmail.com. Once again, that email is WTF90POD at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. Remember going to amusement parks in the 90s and the sights and smells of everything around you? Let's face it, the parks don't cost what they used to, but Magic Candle Company can bring those happy and magical memories flooding back to you with their variety of scents. It doesn't matter if you're a sucker for a good room spray, a collector of hand soaps, or obsessed with wax melts. Magic Candle Company has scents that smell exactly like your favorite resort, snacks, and locations for a price that won't break the bank like a park ticket would. So, relive those childhood memories, back when life was enjoyable, and get a special 15% off with code WTF90, no space, at checkout. Once again, that is code WTF90 at magiccandlecompany.com.